my model was always built on saying, how do we enable and empower the best entrepreneurs to be inspired to work with us? The teams ultimately believe in what's best for their company and they're the ones who drive the decisions. You know, talking that is easy to say, but when push comes to shove, actually being able to do it is why um, we're able to be competitive across so many different fronts because it's not centrally driven. It's driven by the CEOs of these units that, you know, are yeah. more convinced they're going to be billion dollar outcomes in their own right and individual businesses than anybody else. Satyan, very excited to be talking to you. And you know why I'm excited? Because we all in the country know about Times of India, Times Internet. But for everyone watching this, I want to talk about some of the numbers that we uh, pulled in. Is that you have 100 million daily users, 557 million monthly users, and 8 out of 10 Indians, and 7% of the world's population every month is on Times Internet. I want to understand that what excites you at this moment about building Times Internet and, and what, does this num what does these numbers mean actually? Yeah, I mean, honestly, there's a point at which the numbers just start to feel fake because they're so large that it's hard to actually <laughs> conceptualize what it means for something, for your, your properties to reach 110, it's 110, but 110 million users every day. Um, yeah. I think, uh, you know, it, when, when I started working at Times Internet about seven, eight years ago, our daily reach was about 3 million users a day. So if I have the numbers right, we grew about 28x in the last five, six years. Wow. Maybe a little more than five, six years. Um, you know, what it means for us, though, which is I think what really motivates us every day is that our responsibility to customers is more than it's ever been before. I mean, earlier we were building for a much smaller segment of the world and of India. Today, almost half a billion people in India use our properties each month. And so, you know, most Indian companies haven't been able to reach that scale. And that scale is really reserved for the global players that have very strong yeah. positions in India, like Google and Facebook. Um, and so the bar is just really high because... Um, you know, for us to be relevant to that many people, we have to operate at that level of quality, you know, scale and technical capability. Today, I think we have 6,000 employees across Times Internet, more than 1,000 pure product and technology engineers. And unlike a lot of big companies where that's very, um, where they'll have thousands of engineers, but they'll have dozens of engineers working on very small problems because they can really focus it. Because we operate so many different platforms, the teams that drive our businesses oftentimes are very much in the front lines of making changes and product experiences that directly affect millions of people every day. And so while we're one big company in some sense with so many people, the way we operate is so federated out that our business teams really are, are at the cusp of driving huge change and very small, you know, most, most of our teams, I think our average team size is maybe a hundred or 200 people. And so the teams on those, those businesses are still affecting millions and millions of people every day. And so, the responsibility we take, I think, is probably the biggest thing for us because at this scale, the stakes are high. I want to quote something that you said, and this is your quote, where you said, Times Internet is a bottoms-up operation built by entrepreneurs. Yeah. You know, in many ways, the, you know, the digital footprint that you have 
built with Times Internet is not just it's not limited to getting Times of India online and ET online. You know the print business online, but the gamut is so so uh, different and widespread. How do you build this multi-level entrepreneurial initiative? I mean, that's actually the best part of the job is that. um you know when i took over i came in with a very clear view that no single org structure can do all the different things we wanted to do i mean having the same team try to build real estate classifieds like magic bricks and then personal finance like eti money and then music like gana and video you know all these different things they each are huge enormous opportunities on their own rights with very complex and very specific challenges And so my attitude from the very beginning was that I have no no competence to be able to do this on my own and nor nor should any individual really have that. And so the only way we could work is if we could really attract and motivate the best entrepreneurs to want to work with us. So in the last 7 8 years we've acquired almost 15 companies. Yeah. And of the 15 companies we've acquired, I think 13 of those founders are still working with us today. Right. And for me that's a real hallmark of our success more than anything that we've been able to both attract and inspire and motivate entrepreneurial talent to participate with us. Um because that's really you know honestly most companies are 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 they they talk a lot of game about being very entrepreneurial and entrepreneurs and blah 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 blah. Most of it is BS. I mean the truth is we know companies want to be that way, but when push comes to shove, how much yeah. will they actually empower teams to make decisions and really run with a degree of chaos that most big companies aren't used to? and i think i've been very fortunate that i was able to architect times internet with that kind of an attitude where there are times when we will have business units that are competing with each other and there'll be times when we have business units that you know are are pursuing a strategy that we didn't even think was going to be where they started because the teams ultimately believe in what's best for their company and they're the ones who drive the decisions and that i think you know talking that is easy to say but when push comes to shove actually being able to do it is why um we're able to be competitive across so many different fronts because it's not centrally driven it's driven by the CEOs of these units that um you know are yeah. more convinced they're going to be billion dollar outcomes in their own right than individual businesses than anybody else what yeah. are some of the new things that you want and why do you do this yeah. how do you I do mean, this i mean my model was always built on saying how do we enable and empower the best entrepreneurs to be inspired to work with us um mm. most companies have a fundamental struggle with that for two reasons one is the way their power is structured it's so centralized that ultimately everyone else is kind of like a middle manager and two is economically the incentives for being a rock star that you get a little bit more than you might have otherwise yeah and so those things fundamentally um disincentivize entrepreneurs from wanting to work with big companies usually so we've been trying at least to flip that model so one is you know technically me and gotham sen are the ceo of times internet we have like 30 40 people reporting into us which in any traditional corporate logic will say that's terrible business strategy <laughs> you should have no more than like seven people reporting in or something like that but it was really important for us because rather than create additional layers of management uh amongst our business teams we wanted our ceos of business teams to feel like they're reporting to effectively a board or their key stakeholders and not to you know a bunch of layers in the middle economically one of the big things we've done from the very beginnings in many of our business units teams actually hold equity in their business um, okay. whether it be shadow equity or real equity these are all structural things that are different but if you ask me my personal definition of success will be if we have you know the top 50 100 people of the company earning tens of crores of earnings in the outcome or millions of dollars 
dollars of outcome. And that for me has actually been one of my driving factors is that the people who create a lot of value should absolutely share in it. And yeah. again, a lot of companies say this, but when they, when they actually talk about <laughs> it, the, the amount of change is incremental. Whereas to me, the people who are running our businesses shouldn't even care about their salary because the opportunity they have on the back of building something really successful, A, just from an emotional satisfaction perspective to build a really successful business and be really in charge of it, that should be the motivating factor. And second, on top of that is if you're really successful, you should make a lot of money doing it. And, um, and that's, that's at least how we've been structuring. I'll get, just one example I'll give you. Um, the CEO of one of our businesses, and I don't want to call him out, so I'm not going to tell you his specific name. <laughs> I, I harassed him for months to join. And eventually he left and joined, left some other company and he joined us. And he was, he was at a startup and things like that. And he came in and I said, you come in and you just build this new vertical. And I don't even know what it means. You, I don't even understand the space. You figure it out, come up with a plan and tell me, and then you go build it. And he comes and he joins. And two days later, he comes up to me in, in like a little bit of a panic. And he goes, Satyam, what's my title? And I was like, <laughs> Shoot, I don't know. So we both went over to HR and we said, hey, what's his title? Because neither of us even knew what his title was in the company. Because, and, and that to me is actually, it's, it's, a, it's a funny joke, but it's actually reflective of the reality for us that I don't really want people who are in the company for their stature and for how many people are reporting in and what their title is. And then their title gets fakely elevated. And like, that's all BS. It's not relevant. I want people who want to do really good work, move the needle, create really big impact and earn really well on the back of it. And that's yeah. sort of inevitably, whether explicitly said or implicitly, that the leaders of the company today are basically of that DNA. And so, yeah. you know, that's what enables us to be competitive. You've been able to diversify the revenue. And I want to talk yeah. about this because today the world is talking about the diversification of revenue and, and through yeah. the different platforms that you've created. Tell us about how you've been able to, how you've thought about it and what are you doing in that direction? Right. So you know, obviously the group's heritage has been very strong on news and news was kind of the core of the footprint of Times Internet when, we, when, when I took over. Um, but at least for me, it was very clear that for us to be, our mandate was not to be the biggest news company in India. Our mandate was to be the most relevant digital consumer platform in India. And if we limited it to news, we would really be limiting the opportunity. So since then, we broadly have four verticals of the company today. And these are their verticals with sub verticals, but whatever. Broadly, it's news, entertainment, marketplace, and fintech. Mm. And so the news business, you'll largely understand, although there's more to it than, than maybe what meets the eye, but we're very, very strong in that category. Entertainment has been the fastest growing one in the last five, six years with Ghana and MX player becoming market leaders in their respective categories. Um, fin uh, marketplace is probably the part that most traditional media companies don't normally think about as a natural extension for them, but where it's been important for us. And we think it's actually really critical. Uh, Magic Bricks is a very strong, profitable, real estate classifieds play. But then there's a number of new businesses that are all growing between two and six X a year, whether it be dine out and food and food tech, uh, grade up and ed tech, um, ET money, and uh, that's in the FinTech vertical. But um, there's a couple others, but they're relatively earlier stage, but they're growing very fast. And for us, that's part of our diversification is to build up strong transactional businesses alongside the media ones. And then in the fintech category, ET Money has been our main play here. Yeah. It's now the largest distributor of mutual funds online in India um, and really thinking a lot more about consumer finance and wealth and, and what that means as a customer. Um, but you'll see us probably do more on that, sense, that side as well. I can't have this conversation with you right now in this country without talking about the whole Atmanirbhar. Tell us uh, about 
the 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 initiatives because at the end of the day times of india times internet and the yeah. platforms you're building are indigenous indian products you know we've obviously been very strong believers in the make in india strategy rather than necessarily sort of support you know seeing global sort of platforms take over the country that way you know tiktok is a precedented thing it's not really just tiktok it was all chinese sort of operated companies that were having a pretty deep penetration in india um you know politics aside in general we've been very strong proponents of saying that india should figure out how to support domestic entrepreneurs and help enable a great domestic entrepreneurial ecosystem because you know in china today 20% of gdp growth is coming from its digital sector thousands upon thousands of jobs of really high quality high paying high value has come out of this sector in the us it's very much of a same same line whereas countries that haven't been as effective in building up these ecosystems like europe and other continents like europe um you know it, it's a much smaller representation of their economy and in a time when the whole economy is becoming digital in some way or another yeah. it's that much more critical you know for us we've always been sort of opportunistic about thinking about spaces where we could really be competitive and have an impact and given how successful we've been able to become in entertainment as a whole with music and video and now some emerging things in gaming ultimately we think of the the short form video space as an extension of that now it's an independent product it has its own dynamics own product experiences um but ultimately it's a consumer media play that's used for entertainment primarily in and other forms and so we felt like it's a space that's very relevant to what we do it's naturally extends there's so much about the creator ecosystem that engages with what we do in other places as well that we thought we'd sort of take a stab at it and the truth is that we've been honestly very very surprised at the degree of traction that it took in the last 2 months um you know i think i don't know what numbers we're disclosing or not but we we let, let me put it this way taka taka has become a lot bigger of a business than i thought it would be mm-hmm. um and its consumption relative to even gana and mx is substantial and those are many year old platforms and so i do think it's something that we'll continue to invest pretty aggressively behind because we think that it it's ultimately a technology solution which is where we're pretty strong and it's it's the interface between media and technology which is kind of our home turf and so um that's 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 going to be something we focus on but in general look we we always think about space is pretty dispassionately we're not about saying we have to do something because we love it we think about is the space compelling does it add customers and can we be competitive in it And if so, then we'll take a stab. And if something's working, we'll double down and triple down. And if it's not, we won't. Um and and I think we have to be sort of there's so many opportunities for us to pursue from time to time that we have to be a little bit dispassionate and thoughtful about which ones make sense. In sports you have cricket, bars, lifestyle, uh, in the, in the times men XP, Ibiza, music, Ghana, we do MX player. Uh and and ET money, magic breaks, education grade up, food dine out. what are some of the strategies that you're <laughs> thinking as 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 you're building these into specialist uh, uh products in their fields you know there's at least two or three of the companies that we acquired were in the term sheet we actually wrote your wrote in the term sheet you're not allowed to move into our office um and it's a very weird thing to to put in a term sheet but it's actually very reflective of how we think about things when we acquire companies we are looking at harnessing and amplifying the spirit of the team that's built it not us i mean the best example one of the examples i can give you is a uh, crick buzz okay it's based in bangalore the founders were 3x uh, infosys founders who um 
run the company today and, and, and started it from zero, built an incredible business. Um, and fortunately, they felt like, for us, I guess, they felt like there was opportunity in working together with us. But they were very clear when, they did, when the acquisition happened. They were like, look, we, we don't want to be locked in, two-year maximum. We had all sorts of negotiations, and they agreed. It's now been six years, I think, since the deals happened, and they're still there. And the reason for that is, is two things. One is that, um, you know, I think there is a lot of an expectation that if Times is acquiring your company, they're going to gobble it up and screw it up and make it like some big <laughs> corporate, this, that. And, and actually, that's my biggest fear, to be very honest, is that we, we loved QuickBuzz for what they built and for the founders and for their vision of the company. And the truth is they are going to know what's best for QuickBuzz far better than I will, um, given that they built it. And so they didn't move their offices. They still walked to their offices every day to go to work. Their team is exactly what they wanted it to be. We check in from time to time and ask them if there are things we can do to help them. And we've hopefully tried to amplify them and their brand by leveraging the media and resources that we have. Um, but we really don't want to get in their hair because usually we'll mess it up if we get too involved. And so um, it's just a weird attitude. I just by the way, um, Yashmin just sent me a list of all the properties we run so that I don't forget anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but, but I, I think the point is very, very emblematic of our culture, though. And I think it's, it's actually very critical for us to be so competitive in so many fronts is that we really trust our teams. When we find great teams that we believe in, whether it be by them building it in-house or be an entrepreneur that we've worked with from the ground up or one where we've acquired, um, we do everything we can to back them and support them. Beyond that, we don't really want to get in their hair because usually there's a lot of corporate overhang that'll mess them up more than support them. And, and at least that attitude, I think, has enabled us to sort of uh, be competitive in so many different spaces. You talked about something very important that then you take decisions, you take it dispassionately. But you, I would say, are an entrepreneur within your times times group and you're building Times Internet in a very passionate way. How, how do you do that? And, and what are some of the strategies which you have deployed or you have worked on, which you think is working? Because at the end of the day, the numbers speak for itself. You know, the core thing for us is that we've been, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of space to build Times Internet very, very differently from what most companies would build sort of their digital arms to look like. And, um, you know, I think that's usually the biggest blockage is that there's a lot of historical overhangs on how companies are meant to be run that usually get superimposed onto digital businesses and yeah. other large corporate houses or even when corporate houses invest into companies. And I think it's actually just a, it's a very fundamentally hard problem. And the, and the truth is not that one culture is better than another. It's just that different cultures fit different companies. And so the truth is there are lots of deficiencies to our operating culture. You know, we are not as mature and process oriented and as institutional as I'd probably like us to be. You know, we are very people dependent. We depend on the people who run our businesses. And if they leave tomorrow, we're in a really hard spot. Um, but we know that. And so we build around that and we try to make our teams feel as emotionally and financially aligned to the outcome as we can. Um, and we, con we, we consciously make that trade off between institutionalism and entrepreneurialism for the stage of where the company is. And some are a little bit in different stages where you may look at it differently. Um, but, you know, most traditionally large older houses in India have become really excellent by being very, very um, sort of disciplined and mature about uh, risk taking, about um, 
about operating structures, oftentimes very hierarchical and they've been set up and that enables them for what they need to do. And that's true mm -hmm. for many businesses that you'll see in India that are very successful, very profitable, very uh, effective. Um, I think it has to do more with sort of the stage of the, the age of the company and sort of the stage of its position. We feel like our situation is so dynamic where a business may need to completely change its targets and goals in six months or 12 months because the ecosystem is so evolving. Mm. And so structures that are very institutional ultimately provide a lot of predictability and risk management, but not a lot of flexibility. And so we optimize for a different goal, which is to have teams that are super nimble. I'll give you an example. Okay, dine out. We bought dine out thinking to build it as sort of the open table of India. It's a table booking service, right? And it's really strong for that. Now I didn't even realize it until it had started, but the team actually pivoted the business a few years ago by launching a payments instrument called dine out pay. And dine out pay was essentially a way to pay your bill in a restaurant through the app. And it's a really seamless, nice, completely digital experience where you also get cash back and benefits of that sort. And it's taken off like a rocket ship, obviously, before restaurants all got shut down. That was a different dynamic. But, yeah. you know, it, it was a really effective pivot. And I thought a lot about it. And I realized that had we been in a more professional, organized structure where a team was given a task and said, you have to do X, go do X, that the sort of innovation to figure out how your business needs to change might not have happened. Here, it was the exact opposite where I didn't even know what happened until it was like three months after it happened because the team just believed it was right for the business and they took the steps to start progressing it. And, you know, we learned along the way and iterated and fixed it. But that starting sense of ownership is the fundamental difference about our culture than most big companies, I would say. Mm. And that, mm. that, that truth that there actually is a really high degree of ownership amongst the top leaders across our business units. So I want to ask you, what has been your learning in the last six, seven, eight years? Every company and its leadership goes through evolution. Um, when I took over, I think the starting evolution was a little bit more uh, what I'll call zero to one, which was to prove why we should exist. Because honestly, and I know it's, it's wonderful to talk about how big we are and all that. And my view, when we took over, we were in many ways a company plagued with very, very structural issues. You know, at that time, we were, we had basically exited India Times Travel, India Times Shopping. Um, those were both, if they had been effective and competitive, would have been huge outcomes if we had actually been competitive in those spaces. And we weren't, right? Obviously, if we were, we would have been there. We're not. And so it was, it was a time when there was sort of a realization that the old model of how we were running the company wasn't working. And so it really just required a shakeup. And that shakeup wasn't by any means something that we knew would work or not. And so it was a little bit of a punt that the way I viewed it is we were in our existential phase. We were in the phase of saying, should times internet exist? Mm. Meaning, do we have a reason um, to exist? Do we actually offer things that people care about and want? And so the beginning was honestly a very heavy focus on just building things that people liked and improving product experiences, buying companies that we believed in whatever it was, and bringing in that just energy and passion for the underlying product. The last few years now are a little bit more about sort of growing into mature businesses because we've now reached a scale where we've proven why these products should exist. They yeah. clearly have a degree of impact and consumer relevance. Now we have to make them into good, effective, profitable, strong businesses. And so some of them will be closer to that. Some will be further along. But almost all of our major businesses are now going through that organizational shift from maybe having less than 100 employees to having 100 plus. And I don't know how you've seen that, but in most companies, that's a very hard transition because 
it's the point at which the business head no longer hires every person in the company. It's the point at which the business head doesn't necessarily know every person in that company. And the traits of an entrepreneur who's very good at building a company with zero to 75 or zero to a hundred people become very different from the traits when the company goes from a hundred people to a thousand. Yeah. It becomes a lot more, a little bit more process oriented, a little less chicken with no head running around. It becomes a little less of entrepreneurial zeal being enough to make your way through. It's now about having a clear vision and plan motivating and inspiring and recruiting great talent to work with you and actually building a healthy business with clear, you know, really good MISs to actually understand what's happening underlying underneath the hood of every part of your business to help you make better decisions. So there's this sort of maturing of the businesses. And I think I'm going through it myself too, which was that early on, it was a lot more of that's a great business. We should just go do it or we should go buy it or we should go build it or whatever it was. And now it's a little more of, okay, what the effective you know, what's the plan around it? Like this business is in this position. How are we going to get it to that position? And is the management team thinking in that way? Are they building teams that can really operate that way? Do they have that underlying competence? And it's like the way, like the last management presentation I gave, which was unfortunately a while back because we haven't been together in a while, was we went from zero to one. Now we're going from one to 10. And the one to 10 challenges are different from zero to one ones. And that's sort of where we're focused right now. Satin, last question I have to ask is that you are right sure. now in US and I think US in a very large way defines the movement that is happening, the change that is happening in, the, in, the, in many fields, but definitely also in media. What first do you see as media business and where do you see media business going in the coming right. few years? Right. That's a pretty big question and uh, it's not an easy one. And there's, you know, a number of different trends that I think we're trying to wrap our heads around. I think the, the biggest one that comes to my mind right now is sort of how to think about social media and what, I, what I'll call at least publisher media and yeah. the coexistence of those. Because I do think one of the fundamental challenges is that most media companies have kind of gotten sucked into an attention economy. Um, yeah. And we're part of that too. And, and I think the challenge is is that in the short run, every additional click generates additional revenue, and that is sort of the business model. But in the long term, um, you know, the role of tradition, the role of publishers who like have journalists and reporters and editorial standards and blah blah blah, actually matters a lot. Yeah. Um, and it matters in the face of where you've got just rampant disinformation and sort of uh, misinformation and all sorts of things that are kind of being spread without any accountability, right? We know that probably the largest platform for news today isn't any news publisher. It's like WhatsApp. And yeah. we know that there's God knows how much what gets spread on and there's no tracking or enforceability or accountability on it. And so I think that the reality is that that in a world where media is becoming so fragmented and where theoretically anybody is a reporter or anybody is a journalist, um, it's empowering in some sense but it also just creates so much noise. Yeah. And so the role of media companies has to be to be a lot more able to give signal to that noise and to help you harness, like filter through what's noise out there and just get clear, trusted information. And, and I think that's just a very hard problem because in one world, we're trying to sort of like, like social media is basically everyone is screaming and whoever can scream the loudest kind of gets the attention. <laughs> and that's not, that's not necessarily in line with 
conveying the most accurate and representative position of, of a, a situation of a position. And so, you know, I think the biggest cha challenge and trend in, in media, or at least in news media is that, is thinking about how do you remain and continue to invest into being a trusted sort of high quality journalistic outfit um, while recognizing that the way the media ecosystem is going, that more and more attention, and if you're in that attention economy, which traditional media had been in, um, you know, is ultimately skewing towards social and sort of entertainment content where, you know, competing for eyeballs is kind of a race to the bottom. And I think that's just a very hard challenge for, for news media companies. Um, otherwise, the other trend I would say that I think that is interesting, which is almost the opposite, is that I think because media is getting so fragmented, there's a role for very large premium publishers, but then there's an increasing power of the platforms themselves and the platforms that enable people to express and be communicative. And, you know, part of the reason I think that we launched and get inspired by Tuck is that ultimately it's empowering creators. Now, fortunately, Tuck is not really in a, a sensitive space like news. It's really about entertainment and entertainment really can be anybody finding yeah. ways to inspire and, and, and motivate and create passion. And so I think what's interesting, and it's a really hard challenge, again, for traditional companies, especially, is to think about your role more as a platform than as a producer. And so we probably hybrid a bit, like we make original shows on MX, but we're as much thinking about how do we become enablers of the next set of creators. Um, yeah. And I think that's probably going to be the future of media in some capacity or other. And so just thinking about what role we can play on that front is, is an interesting challenge. And you have said, or this is the number of times in, uh, internet has said, 1 billion users and $1 billion in revenue by 2025 happening yeah i mean we yeah we we went from 100 million to 550 million in the last five years so getting from 550 to a billion is a, is a reasonable target for us and revenue wise we i think we touched about 225 million dollars last year wow. um, but at, if we continue at the growth rate that we're targeting going forward a billion is not a crazy number for us to chase in the next few years and so um, it's really now for us about um, focusing and executing really well and not getting too excited by the attention as much as really focusing on building really well, getting our unit economics to a point where they become sustainable and getting to the point where profitability actually isn't just something we talk about, but something that happens. Um, but more than anything, it's always just keeping the consumer first and thinking about what we can do to serve the customer right. Because the moment we lose sight of that, I think we're the, the market is just so hyper competitive that if you don't Put the consumer first you're always at risk and i think that's that's always the thing that's driving us 